There's a lot going on in today's episode. And you know what? There is more to come because this is a very unique three-part masterclass podcast, YouTube, whatever you want to call it, a bit of everything these days. But I am here to really go deep into the topic of entities, personal trust in more detail than ever. Now, not me, but I know I've got the right person on it to help us. And so with that, I've got Jeremy Ionizelli from KHI Partners. Now, if you're thinking of who this person is, I'm going to break it down. Now, Jeremy's a partner at one of Australia's most successful and larger accounting firms and KHI partners have been an immense help to many investigate clients but also not just us the great Australian clientele or investors because they have got thousands of investors that they support there he's one of I think 17 partners in that firm and they're a firm where many of them are actually investors themselves and that is one of my favorite things when I have relationships and or friendships and or connections that are in that space of able to help people but they do it themselves such a powerful point now I'm not saying that you can't help people without doing it themselves but just think of the feeling of when you go through telling someone how to drive a car versus you doing it for many years then maybe trying to tell someone, right? Very big difference. So Jeremy has a multi-million dollar property portfolio and it's always changing because he flips some, holds some. So it could be between 17, 18, 19, 20, maybe more if you're tuning into this. And it is a multi-million dollar portfolio where he's been able to help many investors understand property, understand business, first-time investors, high net worth investors, and more. And I wanted him on the show to just get out all of the BS out of the way. Could be this, but could be that, and could be this stuff because that stuff's so confusing when you sit down with accountants. It's one of my most, I guess, things I hate the most. It's like, I want to sit down and just figure out what I do. But there's all this, it could be this if you're in this position, but maybe if you do this and the benefit of this and the pro of that and the con of that, and you go in with these brilliantly asked questions, but you leave more confused than ever. Yes, I get that every situation personally is different and it should be. You get the right advisors on your team. Now this here, this session, it's not advice, but it's the mastermind of someone who is advising people constantly, daily, high net worth, first time, experienced investors. And that's why I wanted to get this done. And this is going to help many people who are in that decision point of going, do I invest in personal names? Do I invest in trust? What type of questions do I ask my accountant? Do I have a good accountant? How do I make my relationship with an accountant much better? And for many investors, they want to move away from processing to advisory. Getting done versus strategically getting done. And this is where we're heading to. And this is going to be a three-part series with Jeremy Iannuzzilli from KHI Partners. I'm going to be picking his brain on all things trust, non-trust, and investing. And so part one is today. And in part one, we're going to go through really just setting the scene for what these entities are, what they aren't, personal name, percentages, ownerships, considerations of some of your goals, how you should factor that in, where you might start before you start to really spread your wings, and then think of how to create a great relationship with an accountant. If we can get these things right, you get your fundamentals of when to have these entities and when not to. I implore you to then take these tips and learnings away and start to chat to your respective professionals. Or if you tune into this and you go, hey, I want an accounting firm like Jeremy's to be in touch with and support, then that's where you can reach out to the team at KHI Partners and and speak to Jeremy and the squad. Now, when it comes to this discussion, this is part one. If you're wondering, hey, what's part two and three going to be like? I'm going to give you the sizzle now and tell you what it is. Part two, we're going to go deep into the world of first-time investors. Everything first-timers need to consider and really go deep from start to end considerations that first-timers need to make, including some case studies, including some reviews and the decisions certain first-timers make. Again, you take this information away. It's not advice. You take this into your own sort of circumstances and get the right advice you need. But then part three, as we go into the world of sophisticated, high net worth, or even just experienced property investors who own a few and might need to either expand their strategy, pivot a bit more, or just stay on path if they're hearing it and they feel a little bit more comfortable. But the key here is a three-part masterclass into entities, trusts, 
structures from a sharp-minded property investor with over a decade in the game, both investing, accounting, advisory to businesses, and successful individuals. And that's what we want to get out of the show, is genuine help, less confusion, more strategic, you know, guidance and partners out there who are really paving the path with their own journey and who've seen it all. When they see and reconcile thousands of investment properties each year, they get to see what's truly happening, what works, what doesn't work. So I'm very grateful to have people in a circle like this where I can pick their brains because, hey, if you don't get something out of it, I know I will. And that's my goal here as well, to get something out of it for me so I can learn, I can tune in, I can get greater, greater with my investing journey. And if you're on this journey with me, can't wait for you to get something from him as well. Let's tune in and the podcast episode ahead is all about trust structures, lending, all these sorts of things to consider as we go through a three-part series of Accountancy and Entities Masterclass. Jeremy, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, both on, on a personal front and friendship, mentor for many years and someone who's I've always looked up to and been guided by on many things, business, property, and just general chats on all things accounting. And now we, we move into a pretty exciting conversation today where this three-part episode is going to be very special. And, and today's first part is all about trusts and just understanding the world of different structures out there, because that is a bit of a, a headache for many property investors, whether you're starting, experienced or sophisticated, we'll go into those swim lanes later on. But this episode's all about the structures. And I couldn't have asked, I couldn't have imagined a better person to talk to me about this. So thank you for joining the show. Arjun, thank you for the kind words, but we've got to start off telling some truths. It's I who look up to you, mate. Uh, <laughs> every time we get a chance, I just forget how tall you really are. I always getting to see you behind the camera and doing all the podcasts and, and valuable things that you provide people. But yeah, for many people out there who are watching this, Arjun is a giant, about 6'2", and I struggle to hit about 5'5". Five five. So, but mate, thank you for the kind words. It's lovely you know, over the many years that we've been working together with many mutual clients and a lot of the content that you and I both share over the many years, especially giving a lot of this content out for, for people looking to start their property portfolios or people who are well advanced in their journey. It really comes back to getting the foundations right and understanding all the various complexities around the type of structure and whose name to buy in and as far down as little as whether it's tenants in common or joint tenants. But I suppose there's a bit of an introduction and, and what we're trying to give today is, you know, we're looking at buying property and we really need to understand the early stages of it of, you know, structuring. And structuring doesn't necessarily always have to mean trusts or companies or unit trusts or super funds. Structuring can come down as little as whose name the property goes in. I mean, there's many reasons as to why we make decisions based upon it goes in, say, a husband's name or a wife's name or a partner's name. The things that we need to factor in are the taxable incomes that the individual earns, the business plan of the property, whether you know, you're looking to buy, renovate and sell or buy, renovate and hold. You're looking to future provision of subdivision for the property later on or a splitter block. It could be a granny flat or it could be a property that potentially one might move into in a couple years to come. So those are the real types of questions that you need to be speaking with your professionals about and getting an understanding of the business plan of the property. And then from there, you really can start to tailor the entity and ownership. And it could be as little as putting in your partner's name because she's earning lesser income and the property's got the ability to move towards a positive position quite quickly. Or it could be negative in the first couple of years with the basis of being positive in the future. And being able to put it in that individual's name that's earning lesser income gives you the opportunity to save tax. Because the goal is, is that we want to earn as much as we can and pay lesser tax on the dollar as a percentage. Could be a property that might have a higher amount of negative gearing 
name and we do require that additional tax benefit that we receive to hold the property and therefore it might be better to put it in the personal spouse's name with the higher income or it could be a property potentially that you're aiming to buy and move into moving forward well then we need to consider some short-term benefits with a paradigm of CGT in the future. So there's a lot of things that come into play when really deciding the entity. And as I said, entity could be an individual. We also need to consider, Arjun, you and I hate it. and We pay it, unfortunately, it's land mm. tax. So we also need to understand the land tax implications involved from each state based upon how we own the property. Again, whether it's joint or we individually own it or own it by structure. And each state has their own rules around land tax and the thresholds. You know, for instance, recently Victoria announced as part of their new budget that the threshold for an individual for land tax that is has been reduced from 300 grand to 50,000. Yeah, wow. Which is a major implication for many people who are looking to invest in property in Victoria. And that's a cost now that people need to understand and allocate to the bottom line. As land tax, as we all know, it's a cost that doesn't provide really any value. It's an additional tax of holding properties in the future. So these are all the things that need to be taken into consideration when understanding the entity. Many people have different ideas and I have chosen my own with you know, looking through many of my clients' investment strategies and investment journeys. And I'm a strong believer that the first potentially one, two, or even three properties in that instance should be purchased in individual names yeah. initially. And the reason for that, Arjun, quite simply, is that we all know a very small percentage of people get to three or more properties. Correct. And of that small percentage of people that get to three or more properties, an even smaller percent get to more than five. So it does become a very exclusive club when you are able to invest in three or more investment properties, mostly outside your PPOR. And on, on that so, note of the three, Jeremy, what you've touched on is an actual important point for people to remember too. They will hear the stories often of the five, 10, the 15, the 20. And I'm not saying by any means someone should not aim for that. If they wish to, they wish to. We have dissected many portfolio plans and people are often most surprised where if you combine long-term, maybe combine the downsides of the home, combine potentially superannuation on the side and what you may bring in from your financial advisor and what they say, and maybe even just look at three to four investment properties at max paid off, that tends to get the majority of Aussies to their goals as well. It's crazy how many people don't realize that they often are caught up in the, the amazing stories of the 5, 10, 15, 20, which by no means should be something that people don't aim for. Please do if that is your goal. But you don't actually need that many too. So you nail that really important point of before we get to these important structures, do you need that many? Do you want that many? And will you get that many? Correct. And yeah, many times I'll manufacture that calculation backwards. So many clients, I'll ask them, you know, what is your passive income goal? And they might turn around and say, Jeremy, look, we're after about a hundred grand. Now, a hundred thousand dollars may be net after we take into account all the expenses, such as council rates, water rates, and other things. So if we gross up that number, you know, it tends to come to anywhere between a hundred and 125,000. If we're after on average and historical average of about a 5% gross return, now remember we're after that 100 grand net, that will typically say that we need anywhere between about 2.7 to $3 million worth of property paid off. Now, adjusted for inflation and, you know, inflation's a buzzword at the moment, as we all know, but it has been around since the dawn of time. It's, it's obviously the diminishing value of money and the cost and attrition of things going up. But if we take those things into consideration, you'll find that many people will be able to get to their 2.5 to $3 million worth of property portfolio that's required from a gross asset base to obtain their passive income goals across three or four properties. Mm. The challenge becomes getting to pay those three or four properties off. And that's where you really need to 
to think outside the box. You know, you've got the long-term objective, which is working your backside off to pay it down, or you can start to consider alternate measures, which could consist of buying additional properties and utilizing them a bit more on a transactional basis. Could be holding them for a shorter period of time, a quick lick of paint, a renovation, you know, potential addition of a room, and all of a sudden you've increased the value by 150 to 200 mm. grand. And you could look to sell down that particular property when you're in rebalance or your pivot phase of your portfolio. And that's a way that you can really accelerate the loan reducing or not a loan drawdown, but a loan reduction so that you can move towards your positive income or passive income figure that you're after a lot quicker. Because it is tough, you know, if you've got a three or $4 million worth of loan and paying that off when you take into account all the living costs associated with it, it does become a lot tougher to do that. And therefore you really need to make sure that you've got your alternate strategies in place to reduce your loan as quickly as you can. So it ultimately works towards your passive income goal. So those are the couple things that you know, I like to work with clients to make sure that they understand, you know, we want to keep things simple to start with. We want to make sure that you can hit, you know, your desired goals first. And then once you're starting to think of those alternate strategies and measures, that's when we can really start to consider, you know, a little bit more complex structures in the portfolios. Yeah, I think we're, you know, in this three-part masterclass, what, what I'm really hearing is this. This first part is we've got a few swim lanes we need to design. And the swim lanes are, number one, the personal name. So being your husband, wife, husband, husband, whatever it may be. But in terms of the, the goals here, it's basically really just the ownership names individually, the apportioning of those ownership names. That's one swim lane. The other swim lane was at what point entities start to make sense and really considering the entities in multiple ways, not just from a taxation view from a income, but also a taxation view from land taxes and the different holdings. And the number three, which I think is the most important, and you raised a really good point, is before you worry about the Rolls Royce of sort of structures and before you worry about, you know, whose names, it's what's your goals? Because if you're a less is more person, and you need three properties, then you can answer all the cool, fancy structures, questions, but your desires, your requirements aren't matching the decision you're making. So that's what I'm hearing is that as we go into you know part two and part three of this session in future episodes, it's like part two, we're going to go deep into the first time investor. Part three, we're going to deep into the sophisticated and experienced investor. But really part one is understanding these swim lanes. It's like, are you a less is more? Are you wanting more is more? Do you want a million, five million, 10 million net worth? What are you really aspiring for? And there is no mm. wrong answer here. It's all about you. And it's these other swim lanes. Do you think that's a fair assessment of these areas? A absolutely. It's absolutely. And I always, I tell people all the time, there's a couple daunting things in life for me. And I, I challenge people to have a review of those things. So I first scenario I give people is just hop into your car with absolutely zero destination to go. You've got nowhere to go. You don't know where you're heading. You just hop in your car, you turn your car on. It's a daunting feeling not knowing the destination. Now, most people, we know where we're going when we jump into our car. We put it into our Google Maps or Apple Maps, whatever it may be, and it gives us four or five different paths to get there. That's one scenario that I, I really test people on. The second scenario is a puzzle. Mm. Uh, try create a puzzle from a box with absolutely zero understanding or idea or picture of what the final puzzle is. Pretty tough, like. man. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty tough. Now you'll get the edges because that's the easy bit. 
But what you're after is what does this puzzle look like at the very end? And then you can start to match the colors and you can start to place the colors and the pieces relatively close inside the parameter of the puzzle. But if all you know is the edges, you're missing out on the most important piece to make that picture, which is the middle. Mm. So they're the two scenarios that I often give people. And I feel that once you know where you want to get to, you can start to manufacture that calculation, that equation, that picture from the start while knowing where the end is. And that gives everyone a very clear understanding, the professionals a very clear understanding of what things need to be looked at or implemented at certain stages of your journey. It's very hard to try to put those pieces as you go without understanding that clear objective. And, and people reference it to goals, but you know, and goals become a bit of a buzzword and many people gloss over it and they say, yeah, we hear about it all the time, goals and objectives. But I take away those words and I say, look, we need to know where the end is so we can start the process to get there. Mm. And then that takes you back on to, you know, where complex structures fit inside people's portfolios. You know, so you may have got to your two or three or potentially four properties that you own, you know, between in the family or yourself. Then you've got to start to think of, well, okay, I want to take that next step and I do want to get to five, six, seven properties. Some people believe, Arjun, and I know, you know you've tested yourself over many years in your journey. You started with X and you got to X and now you've pushed it to Y. You get to Y and, and now you've got all these other letters of the alphabet that you want to try. Mm. And I think that it's that part of that pivot and rebalance strategy, which is moving those goalposts as and when you know you can accomplish it not necessarily do we want to stay fixed i think if you can continue to push yourself you know you'll never really understand your true parameters or the true restrictions of your mind or of your body until you really start to push yourself to another level yeah it's it's a very important um, point there jeremy and i think like what you're starting to paint the picture of is almost like a investor ready individual couple family what you want to call it because there's a few the swim lanes of mindset goal setting whatever the end goal is i want to throw two more things to you because i think this really ends the nice swim lanes that we set here for everyone in part one number one is let's just say we make decisions on these first three we have name apportioning we have entities taxation of the property taxation of the individual and then obviously taxation of land taxes and then we have goal setting but i have two more swim lanes here number one risk mitigation because right now it's almost like this wild card that comes out of nowhere like there's these back and forth mm. strategies discussions people have with clients accountant client lawyer client whatever it may be or partner with each other and they go great i'm clear on that part the ownerships the names i'm clear on taxation and then their accountant or them just throws over the old risk mitigation card and then this just complicates everything here what does it really mean when people think of these different entities and structures to manage risk and why is it important and look does it really do the job because if you're in mm. trouble you're truly going to be okay if, if things come up and you've got this PTYLTD to save the day or or is this just a myth and I, I really want to go into risk mitigation a little bit if that's okay yeah so look with everything in life there's always going to be a portion of risk and the bank probably the only one who de-risks themselves with the most with all the guarantees that they put in place so no matter what entity that you go in in most cases the bank will have all the required guarantees to ensure that loan gets paid down, whether it's a director's guarantee, an entity guarantee, a property guarantee. So we'll leave the banks out for the time being because the piper always gets paid, mm. but more so from, I suppose, other asset protection strategies. Now, if you do have a lot of assets in your own name and you make personal guarantees to creditors or other things, then yes, you are personally, you do become personally liable. Now, we're seeing a lot of building entities at the moment, Arjun, which are going bust. It almost feels feels like every day I see something pop up on my newsfeed of another builder going bust. However, 
there's substantial amount of assets that that builder has under their control, but not under their ownership. Now, as part of the Corporations Act, especially when you structure your trust the right way or your company the right way, there is a level of protection there for a director and for some things that go wrong with inside a business. There's fiduciary duty that obviously needs to be maintained as a director, which means essentially doing the right thing, doing things with inside the spirit of the law. But if you do have a lot of assets individually owned and for some reason something goes wrong with personal guarantees in place, then yes, those assets do form part of your base and do form part of any potential litigation that may occur in future. So asset protection is definitely one eye that an accountant or a solicitor always consistently reverts back to. And the reason for that is, again, if something goes wrong individually and your assets are in other entities, such as your spouse, for instance, or potentially such as another entity like a trust, which is what you control but do not own because nobody owns a trust, Mm. It's there for the benefit of the beneficiaries. The trustee manages it and the appointer has the right to remove or appoint a trustee. So effectively, it's under an entity that you control but do not own. Then that entity under the separate legal entity concept that's in place does not form part of your asset base. And therefore, if you get personally sued for something that does go wrong, they can't come after any other assets that are not in your name that you do not have legal ownership of. Now, there are things in place, such as in the family law courts, where they do run by the beat of their own drum. They do lift the corporate veil. And if you do have all these fancy structures thinking that you can minimise things from a divorce perspective, think again. <laughs> family law court does look through the corporate veil, but other issues result in, you know, as part of the Corporations Act for other things that may occur with inside business, they do unfortunately have to form part of all the legislative requirements that are in place. Right. So there is an element, Arjun, of asset protection that's there. It does work. We've seen it many times over, and especially a lot of these builders all going bust. They're still getting to keep their Turak mansions or their Gold Coast holiday homes because it's not in their ownership. It's in an entity they may control but do not own. So you do need to factor that in. But in saying that, there is cost attached to having these types of structures in place and protecting your assets. And one would argue that the risks in most cases may be quite minimal and you should be assessing based upon your own financial situation. But for argument's sake, I believe that the cost to you know establish all these entities and start to get these entities in place in your investment journey, I feel they're not warranted until you either are at a business level where asset protection is key mm. or are at an asset base level where you need to start putting your eggs into different baskets. You're really touching on a very couple of key points here. And what I've taken away is this is now connecting the dots. We started with a couple individually for purposes of land taxes, purposes of diversity and goal setting, right? Now, once we cross those couple individually, this is also now acceptable risk. Because if you just had the limitations to two to three individually, that is your acceptable risk exposure. It's like, if I'm now gonna build a property portfolio of 10, I've got my two to three here as acceptable risk, and I've got the seven, because I'm now taking that goalpost moving journey we're talking about, and we're now mm-hmm. going to a more you know, managed risk with assessments, costs, structures, like the builders and like all that sort of stuff. But then the most important learning lessons I'm getting out of just what you shared there. Number one, choose your partner wisely <laughs> because the relationship at home matters probably most. And, uh, you know, manage that relationship wisely. It's not just about the choice. It's about ongoing because it's a forever long thing because that seems to be a very expensive exercise. And that is also an exercise that usually many research out there starts with money and understanding these structures and understanding, you know, how to best manage those relationships. I'm not a relationship coach, but I think we're doing pretty okay at home. But the main thing is that is very important. The second thing is that goalpost shifting have a 
really good two-way discussion with accountants like yourself and with that journey of being able to have that structure in place for as your milestones in life changes. And the third and final thing is I'm picking up that the bank always wins. You know, your fights are not with the bank. With the bank, they win. If your fights are elsewhere, whether it's caused by you or unintentional or from someone else or it's been brought upon you, this is where that extra layer of structure will help. But it really means the bank wins, have a relationship in check, both from choice and management. And lastly, as the goalposts shift, you shift as well. So thank you, Jeremy, for Great. really highlighting that. Now, the fifth swim lane, the final one, is really setting up our listeners for managing and choosing the right accounting partner. Because we've touched on a few swim lanes. Number one is the names, individually apportions. Number two is entity structures, which ones, what types, and all those will be another point. But I mean, really breaking down the taxes for them. Holding property, you individually, and then the land taxes. And then the other parts we've gone through in terms of risk management and, of course, goal setting. But the last one here is people find it very difficult in Australia. Benchmark the right accounting partner with them. And I hear two spectrums. One, positive news from you know our dealings together, which is very property investor business mind, has multiple investments, is in the game. I feel that connection because we're in the game together. At the same time, it's creative and supportive and within guidelines. It's all the things that people want. However, there's the other side I hear. They only tell me stuff when I ask or they don't tell me stuff as they see me grow. They wait for me to grow, then figure out a problem, then come back to them. Could you help our listeners and viewers out there go and do two things? How do they take accountability and set up the best relationships with their strategic accountants? And number two, what should they be looking for? Yeah, so it's, I think number one, we'll start with what they look for. So you need to look for people that are aligned with what you're aiming to achieve. You know, I'm not a huge cryptocurrency fan. I still am struggling with the concept of airdrops and staking and all these other things that I see and investing in unicorns and betting <laughs> on fictitious races. You name it, I've heard it. And I just heard me, the word bussin recently and that's cap. I'm still learning some of these new things and I thought I was the cool young guy, but I'm now not cool anymore. Everyone's mentioning these new oh, words and things. I don't get it either, man. I'm with you. That's <laughs> it. And, mate, I, and I'm still struggling with the concept. And for me, it's just never been a passion of mine. You know, I love property and I love investment and I love business, but I'm not definitely a cryptocurrency accountant and many people who really want to spend a lot of time on it. I don't have enough knowledge to converse. Now, yes, we can factor in and we understand all the tax implications of it, but I'm struggling with the concept. And if I don't believe in the concept, then I wouldn't be the right accountant for that particular individual. You know, for people that are wanting to build property portfolios, business, wanting to structure things the right way, wanting a bit of mentoring around what things they need to be looking at to help grow, that's what I've been doing my whole life, my journey. You know, since a, a young 18-year-old man that's, you know, now over 15 years ago. For me, it's important that I really try to emulate that with what I've done and also what I've seen some other successful clients do as well. So the big thing that I love is education. I like to educate my clients because I believe a knowledgeable client is going to be asking the right questions and knowing the right touch points throughout the relationship with their professional. That brings me on to the second one. Now, lots of people want to get a Ferrari, but also pay a Datsun price. <laughs> and I'm a big believer that you do get out what you put yeah. in. So from my client's perspective, I do offer them the ability to reach out and have a chat with me throughout the year. 
on a fair basis. You know, if we're spending hours upon hours every week, then it's something that we look at a bit more of an ongoing fee-based relationship. But nevertheless, not many clients do that now. They really want to get their answer quite quickly. So I'm a big believer in don't be afraid to ask your accountant or other professional to have regular meetings, whether it be monthly, bi-monthly or quarterly. Now, there might be a fee attached to it, but the goal is, is that with that fee attached to the service that they're providing, it's a more ongoing relationship that you have that's more proactive in nature. If you're relying on the professional to give you a call with every legislative change that occurs or give you a call to check in once a week of how you're traveling, you'll find that that professional will be either be broke or not have many clients to deal with. And and they're typically not sometimes the people that you want to be with, although it's fantastic. But if they've got all that time to spend with you just individually, because again, as a service provider, it's our time and there's only 24 hours yeah. in a day of which we probably sleep for five to six hours of it. So you need to make sure that if you do want to have that additional service, many people are waiting for their accountant to offer it. My advice to people is be proactive and request it from your accountant. Mm. They might have two options. They might either say, no, sorry, I don't have the time. Or yes, it's a brilliant idea. Let's do it. Now, there might be fee attached to it. But if your accountant's very good, whatever fees that you've paid your accountant, they should be able to obtain that level of benefit back many times over with either tax minimization strategies Mm. or effective structuring to see and help your business grow. Because I believe the best mentors out there are accountants, Arjun. You know, in our practice in KHI Partners, it's a 16,000 client strong business. I think almost 17 or 19 partners on last count. So we're very lucky. We've got 7,000 properties that we see every year from our client base that we get to reconcile. So we get to learn a lot. And, you know, there's over 2,500 business owners that we manage as well. So we get to see what works and what doesn't work. And there might be little things that we can pick up to really assist our clients based upon how we interpret it. And just could be a little bit of a cost minimization technique, or it could be, hey, guys, you maybe need to start considering how marketing may form part of your overall business. Or it might be, guys, we need to look at repivoting or balancing your property portfolio. At the moment, your properties at present, based upon the spreadsheets you provide us, are looking like to have a forecasted cash flow deficit of 10 grand. You know, so these are the little things that we really like to get involved with clients about. And I believe all professionals should be doing that based upon the client's needs and requirements. So don't be afraid to get out there and speak to your professional. If you want something, ask for it. It could be something they can provide or they can't. But my advice to all clients is don't sit by the phone and wait for your professional to call you every week for one hour. Be proactive and start coming up with, I suppose, a solution or a tailored approach for you and your professional to speak regularly. It may cost you fees, but you get out what you put in. Absolutely. And to bring out the whole get out what you put in, I want to take everyone to a quick story. I had a coach, Jeremy, that I recently hired, not recently, this time last year, and it was for health, right? Not talking PT, where you go in once a day, just do the training, and it's so individual. It's very holistic. I got a coach to help me with it. It was like eight and a half grand for a whole year. Best eight and a half grand I spent. Spreadsheets, accountability, Zoom meetings, tracking, workout changing, mental health check-ins, everything to do with all things health. There is no different to any other part of your life. Wealth building, wealth protecting, business growth. You spend the right money with the right people and you have the decent frequency that you can manage implementation time alongside actual learning time and actually see progress, things change. And when everyone's tuning into this part, one of the three-part masterclasses to really look back on this episode and take away the swim lanes. 
Because if you take away those core swim lanes, you'll be prepared in the questions to ask. You'll know what sort of and the why of these questions to ask. You know, your names, your entities, land tax, personal taxes, business taxes, going to all these different things, risk mitigation, your goal setting, and then most importantly, the right fit. If you're talking to an accountant, not saying that there's good or bad ones based on what they have personally, but that plays a core part. Do you know what I mean? You will not ask your friend for advice in certain fields of things if you don't see them doing that kind of well, kind of okay, or at least be surrounded by that all the time. And that's a key part that I've really picked up in today's episode. So Jeremy, thank you so much for today. Can't wait to jump on the mic again for part two. And in part two, for everyone tuning in, we're going to go deep into the first time investor. All those swim lanes that we've talked about, we're going all in on your first time investor. We're talking case studies. We're talking exact numbers, all the things that will help you go, hey, that's me. That's my scenario. That could make sense to me. Obviously, every scenario is different and you've got to talk to your respective professionals for that advice. But this is going to be key to set you up for that success as a first time investor, as you're thinking of all the things. And if you've enjoyed this show and you're like, look, I need that type of business support on my side, KHI Partners. Jeremy, how can they reach you or the team? Yeah, website khipartners.com.au. Feel free to reach out to us on the contact page and there's a wide range of partners and services that we provide. Awesome. Now, for everyone that does reach out, I want to make one thing very clear. There are businesses that are large at scale, but they don't offer that personal service. These guys are not that. They offer a personalized service that goes into detail and I have nothing but absolute you know, kind things to say, not from my results personally, but even even more important people to me, which is my clients. And what they say to me about working with people like Jeremy, it's very powerful because the thing is they built their processes top down to be able to offer something so tailored, but the scale is important here. People sometimes can often look at big companies and go, oh, why am I going to be left out? No, you actually get more. I'm learning that now. I've learned that from the CBA days. You get more in technology, more in services, more experience, more practicality, more scenarios that they've been through, more life cycles that they've been through. It works. And so I'm all about more is more, not less is more in certain things like the right professionals with you and go and reach out to the team at KHI. So thank you, Jeremy. We'll come back for episode two next time.